Welcome to the Shelf Made Podcast, your weekly snackable size podcast for the consumer packaged good industry, where we go deep into one topic each episode that founders are dealing with on a daily basis. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode four of the Shelf Made Podcast. Super excited to have you here for another week. Uh, let's dive right in into the article or kind of headline that caught my attention this week, and it has to be the $200 million round raised by Oatly. Oatly is a staple uh, in my household, in my fridge every single week. Uh, it's actually an older company. It's been around for 20 plus years, but I think the timing was right for it to succeed over the last five years with plant-based really catching on. I think too, like they had an amazing product. I mean, probably one of the best um, not just plant-based milks, but plant-based products I've ever tried. And the branding was on point. And again, they were there to seize the moment when the market was ready. I mean, this was not an overnight success and it took a long time to get to this point. I think it brings me to kind of the broader focus of you know raising around right now and what we're hearing from investors, what we're hearing from brands and, and what the focus is right now. I think before you used to put, you know, all the retailers that you know, either committed for for bringing on your item or that you were getting ready to present to, and store count was really driving that investment. And now with store counts kind of slowing down a little bit because of COVID, obviously not as many buyers are committing or bringing on new items, except for a handful of brands that are, you know, those high growth brands that are still succeeding. But if you're a better for you product right now, if you're a functional beverage, it's tough out there. It's just tough to get new accounts. It's a tough to open up new business. And so I think there's two things you really need to be focused on when you're presenting to investors right now. I think one is velocity, right? So sales per store, per SKU, per week. So how many items are you selling at an individual store per week? And then what's your average across all those stores? And so, and then how does that compare against the industry average for that category and for that retailer? And I think for me, like much more important than store account is velocity. You want to be really dominating one to two regions. You don't want to be spreading yourselves out too thin. And you want to be focused on showing the on showing the investor, look, we've really we're doing well in this area. We're doing really well in this subset of uh, particular retailers, and customers are coming back even during these difficult times and purchasing our product. That shows stickiness. That shows that you're gonna um, you're gonna continue to succeed even in a post-COVID environment. And I think those are the indicators that are gonna get investors to commit right now. Um, two, I think it's your ability to pivot to an online strategy um, and really include that and get omni-channel quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, you know, I think a lot of brands, I think, kind of just kind of poo-pooed their online strategy. Uh, you know, kind of punted on it and, you know, had their product available to buy online, but it wasn't a huge driver. And I think now you're seeing the investment go from trade spend to online marketing spend to drive those online sales in the short term and drive trial of their products uh, and really make up some lost revenue that might have been lost on the retail side in the short term. And I think if one, you can show that ability to pivot in the short term if you can scale up that side of your business relatively quickly, especially like with a perishable product, which is super impressive if, if you can do that. Um, I think it just shows the investor, listen, this person has the wherewithal 
to make it happen in any environment. And this is the type of person that I want to invest in. And that's the feedback we've heard from brands, but also the investors that we've we've been speaking to as well. And I think, you know, although this is a difficult time to raise money and raise capital, and it might just seem like every door is shut, we have had a handful of investors tell us like, hey, we're, we're hearing less pitches, which means more people are getting it through. So I think this is the time to polish up the deck, make sure that you're focused on the right uh, measurements and the right KPIs and push forward with reaching out to retailers. Um, I think that segues nicely kind of into our conversation today uh, with Paul at Fablish. I've known Paul for a long time. Uh, he's been an early advocate of WeStock. I've loved their products. Um, I think their falafels, you know, it's a staple again for me. At least once a week, I'm, I'm trying the product for lunch, and I absolutely love it. And Paul, you know, he had a strong retail presence in New York City. And when COVID hit, he had to supplement that lost business in retail with online sales. And so he has his frozen product. He has his perishable sauces uh, that need to be refrigerated. That's a difficult pivot to make, and that's a difficult type of product to get to your customers. And so I wanted to bring Paul on the show to really talk to that, talk about how overnight he was able to, to make that a viable part of his business and really get into the nitty gritty of, hey, this is every single step I needed to take to get my product into consumers' hands online. And so with, with that, super excited to introduce Paul from Fabulish. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Shelf Made podcast. Super excited to have my friend Paul from Fabulish uh, on the podcast today. I've known Paul uh, for quite a while now before I actually started WeStock and um, actually, or maybe when I was just starting out, uh, I think he was on the platform before we even had a product. So I've definitely been super appreciative of his support throughout everything. And it's been great to watch Fabulish um, really grow um, over the last couple of years and, and to work closely um, with Paul and the team. Um, today, um, we're going to focus uh, and really dive deep on, on one topic. But first, Paul, I'd love for you to maybe introduce yourself and, and give a little background on what Fabulish is. Sure. Thanks, Cameron. It's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, I'm Paul. My hair shake. I'm the co-founder of Fabulish along with my partner, Jess. So we do everything around the chickpea. We're plant-based, allergen-friendly, uh, work with clean and organic ingredients, very proud of that. Um, from the chickpeas, we bake falafel, usually they're deep fried, so it's a healthier alternative. And from aquafaba, which is chickpea water, uh, we make our sauces. So we have a tzatziki, ranch, queso, and a smoked spices, which is our special sauce. Yeah, and the sauces are are silly good. I mean, I I've I've tried them multiple times, and and the product is definitely outstanding compared to a lot of bland frozen falafels that you get out there uh, in the market. So I would definitely urge people if they see it at the store, definitely pick it up and try it and support it. Um, but today we're going to be really focused. Obviously, COVID has has affected a lot of brands over the last few months, um, and when you have a frozen or refrigerated brand, a lot of time you kind of shelve the idea of um, selling direct to consumer and shipping across the country because it can be super expensive. And so I think we're, we're really gonna hit on that topic on, on how Paul introduced that into his uh, repertoire and, and how he made that a really viable vertical during this time. 
And so Paul, I wanted to kind of just jump in and, and see when was the moment that you kind of realized, okay, you had to figure out this issue that you might've been putting off um, for a while while you were really focusing on retail sales and, and figured out, okay, now I need to really focus on, on DTC and how I'm going to get this product to the customer frozen or refrigerated. Yeah. I, I mean, it definitely, uh, it all happened with COVID just like you mentioned. And, and for all the reasons you mentioned too, we were hesitant to explore D2C just seemed like a big problem. And we figured most consumers weren't shopping online for perishable goods. Um, but then COVID hit, you know, there was that initial rush. It was great. And then, and then we saw a big drop, um, you know, a lot less foot traffic stores. We couldn't demo, we couldn't sell into new stores. And, you know, we, we realized uh, if we didn't go online and, and, and do that uh, successfully, we, you know, we'd have a very difficult time continuing. Um, so it all started then. I mean, we, we did a lot of legwork up until that point. Um, we had enabled online sales, but only for the Northeast. So like everything within like a one to two day ground area. Um, but we didn't do any online advertising. We didn't really push it. We'd have maybe one or two orders a week if that. So it never really was a, a channel. It was more of an afterthought. But we had that foundation. We kind of knew um, very generally how it worked. Um, but uh, there were a lot of issues we had with it. It wasn't cost effective. We didn't really know how to package, you know, frozen and, and refrigerated product properly. It was kind of just... Uh, praying for the best, you know, pack it up with ice packs and send it. Um, and that's kind of how it all started. So when, when COVID hit, you know, it was all hands on deck. How do we make online work? And what do you, uh, was, was the step one to find a partner where you were going to sell on that platform or was it to get your platform up to snuff so that you could capture orders easily and drive traffic to, to your site where you're going to capture the orders or were you looking for, um, online retailers to partner with? I mean, it, it was both, but we definitely wanted to get our platform up, up and running and, and make that successful because we could control, you know, the process and have access to the customer. So we knew uh, we needed to do that. So we, we had Shopify. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's a great platform. It's very easy to build our website and to manage the store. Um, the challenge really then was how do we um, properly package it and you know we wanted to enable online sales nationally it, it wasn't enough to do just do the northeast because if we're doing ads and pushing and you know increasing our social media we wanted to make it accessible everywhere um, so that the first big challenge is right how do we make it economical right because with perishable you have to worry about the proper packaging the liners ice packs and then making sure it gets to the destination quickly. Um, so, you know, we started with um, uh, this one company, uh, the name escapes me at the moment, but they gave us a, a discount uh, bulk rate on FedEx. It was like a 30% discount, which at the time I thought was great. Later, I realized it wasn't good at all. Um, it, it made the kind of like the East Coast um, economical but west coast was still very challenging um so we started exploring other options and uh you know we i came across usps they had uh you know really good great flat rates they have like a small box medium box uh, flat rate across the country you could do it for like 18 bucks um 
and we started with that, but we quickly found out that USPS isn't as reliable as the other uh, shippers. And, and more so than that, it was, you know, when the pandemic hit, um, they got overloaded. So what was supposed to be a two day, you know, turned out to be four or five days. And when you're shipping something perishable, right, it's not going to work. Um, so were so, you dealing with a lot of, I mean, were you, were you seeing customer service issues pop up? Yeah. I, so it, it's interesting. We, you know, we thought that, um, it had to arrive within two days for the product to stay fresh. Um, you know, in some cases when it was taking four or five days, yeah, customers were complaining. We knew we had an issue, but then we had a lot of packages arrive in three days and people weren't complaining and we would reach out proactively asking them, you know, we noticed the, the package took an extra day longer. Is the product okay? Uh, and surprisingly they, you know, most of them thought it was fine. Uh, it was also the winter. So the weather was on our side. Um, so I think we kind of learned that, you know, we could get away with three day shipping for the West coast, especially during the winter and then eventually the spring. So it made the pricing a bit more economical. Um, uh, but yeah, so, it, you know, we knew we had to move from USPS from the, the issues, the complaints. And then we, you know, we were doing a lot of research, really getting into it. And we uh, started working with ShipStation. Um, so they're an aggregator. They, you know, they have a lot of companies on their platform. They're able to get great rates with uh, UPS specifically. Um, and with UPS on ShipStation, we were able to make the economics work. And then we, you know, we moved to a flat rate model nationally. Um, uh, we, we had enough margin on our product to kind of make it work. You know, we set the threshold for, you know, free shipping over $40. Um, and that was kind of, I gave us the baseline, the foundation to make national work. Now is ShipStation just, uh, I mean, are they picking and packing the orders for you too, or are you doing that internally? Yeah, we're doing everything internally. ShipStation is more of like a platform where they get you the rates. You can print the labels through them. So you get the discount rates. Um, it, it's great because it integrates with Shopify, um, with Amazon, with the whole number of platforms. So all of our orders would get routed into ShipStation. We can price out the labels um, and then print them. But we were still doing all the, the packing and, and mailing from, from our facility. Okay. And then did you look into any like 3PLs or pick and pack services that you could outsource to, or is that just way too expensive at this stage? So, I mean, that's definitely the end goal. I think uh, if you want to do national and you have perishable, there's really no other way. It's just, um, you know, shipping uh, to the West, well, depending on where you are, but we're on the East coast. So shipping to the West coast, you know, two day air gets very pricely uh, quickly. Um, especially in the summer now, we can't do the three day. We have to do one or two day. Um, we're basically throwing money out the window uh, to make it work, but we'd rather build our customer base than not offer it. Um, so we know we need to solve this problem fast. Uh, and really the best way to do it is with like a 3PL um, where they can, you know, set up a couple warehouses in the country. One, you know, maybe on the East coast one on the West coast, you fill the warehouse and then they pick and pack and, and send it to, um, with ground shipping. And if you have those warehouses strategically placed, you can cover like 80 to 90% of the country and certainly like all the populated areas. So, um, but yeah, to answer your question, we are, you know, we are actually in the process of talking to a couple three PLs. Um, you know, they, they usually have, 
some volume minimums. So when we were starting out, we knew we kind of had to build this up on our own before we went to a 3PL. Um, and the other thing is I'm, I'm a big believer in trying to do it on our own before we outsource it just to understand the problems the challenges, what the price points are. Um, so yeah, we're talking to 3PL, to a couple 3PLs and I mean, that's, that's really gonna be the way to go. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was, uh, in my past, uh, position and we were, we were selling hummus and I mean, we didn't even want to send out samples to like a lot of like big retailers because it was just way too expensive. So I think it's nice now that there's a few more options, um, for companies to use. And the fact that DTC doesn't have to be an avenue that's kind of forgotten by frozen and, and refrigerated or perishable items because it is super crucial at this early stage of your company. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We, we uh, we saw a significant increase. I think it was like a 10x increase from Q1 to Q2 in online sales, which sounds like a lot, but we weren't really doing much in online. But we got to a point now where it's almost half our business and it's really helping us continue to grow. Um, so I think anyone who has taken that leap online should really consider it. And, uh, you know, if this continues, then that's going to be our only path to success. Yeah. Um, and, and so with that, um, where can people find Fabulish? What's the best place for them to order a product? And then, um, you know, what's the best way to reach out to you if they have any questions? So, um, in stores, we're in, uh, New York city, tri-state area primarily. Um, but we are on our website, fabulish.com. We are shipping, uh, to the continental U S so all 48 States. And uh, yeah, if anyone has questions or is, you know, is trying to figure out the online thing, I'd be happy to help. You can reach me at paul at fabulish.com. We've made many mistakes and uh, I'd be happy to, you know, help others avoid them. Awesome. Thanks so much, Paul. I definitely appreciate it. And I know uh, this is a ton of valuable information and we'll definitely uh, link to Fabulish in the show notes and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to Paul at Fabulish. I really appreciate him jumping on the pod. Um, known tall, like I said, for a long time. It's a great product. If you have a chance to buy it online or support it if you're in the New York metro area or near a mom's organic market, I can't stress enough to try the product. Um, the digital diary today is going to be pretty straightforward and, and pretty short. I think, again, it goes back to my first point about raising money. I think it's something that I'm super stressed about right now. We, we raised a, what I guess you could call a bridge round earlier in the year. And, you know, it was, it was something that was a success. It was great. You know, we were happy, but it wasn't really what we wanted because we were raising right when COVID hit. So we almost had um, almost over $700,000 pulled from our round. And so we had to raise a significantly smaller round um, at a slightly smaller valuation than we wanted to. But we were okay with that because the investors that were still in believed in us and believed in what we were doing. And I think now, you know, we're going back out there to raise. And I think if you've ever been through that process, it's just stressful. I mean, you're essentially putting your baby that you've worked on for a year or two or three years or for however long you've been working on it and you're throwing it into the world for it to basically be eaten by the wolves. And, and 
you deal with so much criticism, so much of you know people asking you why you haven't done this, like when is this gonna happen? And you have to be prepared for all that and you just can't take it personally. You know, they, they're making decisions that are best for them and you just have to move forward. And I think just like in sales, it's, you know, it takes, you know, a 50 reach outs to get one probably response or one converted and it, you know, it's just a slog. So I think mentally, you know, I'm just going through the process of getting kind of my, uh, my spear and my shield ready to go back out on the battlefield and, and get ready to raise. And, and that's really, you know, I know it's hyperbole, but it does feel like that. And, uh, you know, it's also difficult because it takes time away from the business. And so I think that's really what I'm thinking about today and this week about how am I going to balance the continual growth of the company, but also raising to obviously make sure that we're in a healthy place to continue to build the company, uh, you know, for the next 18 to 24 months. Um, but yeah, with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll have another episode out quickly uh, as we kind of double taped on this day. So excited to get out that next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're interested in learning more about WeStock, check us out at WeStock.io. And feel free to enter in the promo code SHELFMADEPODCAST for 25% off your annual contract.